0: The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit
1: sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I might bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me for Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he might give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I might bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout the whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city." After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. 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 How are we doing? It's good. My name is Justin. I want to welcome you to Sacred City Church if this is your first time gathering with us this morning. Um, Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you as broken vessels, as wounded people. According to your word, we are sinners. According to our experience, we are sinners. And we have no place in the presence of a holy and a righteous and a mighty God. We should be wiped out. In your your presence, we are but worms. And yet you choose to set your love upon us. Your one-way, covenantal, gracious, completely undeserved love. Out of all the people in the world, you set your love upon us. All those who your hand has picked out from across the whole globe. All those who To whom you give faith and we respond to you. And Father, I ask that today. The spirit that you place within us. That that spirit would respond. That spirit would cause us to see the beauty in the face of Jesus Christ today. That, that, That spirit would cause us to hear your word and understand. That spirit would cause me to preach. Uh, with boldness this morning and clarity that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords that you would hear through our ears this morning. That the God of all creation would speak through his word to us in this place this morning. We, uh, we ask this for your, for your fame and for your glory. And Father, we ask this for our own joy. We ask that you would do this and that you would be pleased to reveal your son to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to Sacred City Church gathering. Um, If you're visiting with us, I hope that you experience something really old. Something ancient, actually. Uh, I hope that our songs, our liturgy, our readings... Our responses and our sacraments all communicate to you the deep historical roots of our Christian faith. We're not inventing anything new today. Our message is the same as many who have came before us. If you trace back our fruit to the branch, you're going to find men like John Piper, Tim Keller, and John Stott. If you follow that back to the trunk, you're going to find men like John Calvin and Martin Luther. They've professed the same faith. Before them, Augustine and the early church fathers. If you follow that trunk down deeper into history, the Apostle Paul and the disciples of Jesus are there, the very men who walked and talked with Jesus Christ. Our faith is not a fairy tale. It's a deeply historical faith That has been practiced for thousands of years and therefore it should today feel a little old. But as we have been studying, the Christian faith didn't just begin with the birth of Jesus. God has called his people out into his mission thousands of years before Jesus was ever even born. As the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Men like David, Joshua, Moses, Joseph, Jacob, Isaac, and of course Abraham have also gone before us. And today they speak to us through our liturgy. Nearly every week we quote their words. Nearly every week we profess our faith in similar ways as they did when they walked this earth. So it's my prayer and my hope today that our gathering, that in it you would get a sense of something old, something transcendent, something ancient, that we are rooted in history to people, millions of believers that have gone before us. But I also hope that the historical Christian faith that is really, really old I also hope that it smells fresh to you. I hope that it also looks new and tastes sweet. And it's our desire to be deeply rooted in historical Christianity, but also whimsically current to the needs of our generation. And I want you to hear me we have no desire to be cool or trendy or hipster or avant garde. We want to hold tightly to the historical Orthodox Christian message while speaking in a language that our culture can understand. We believe that if we can stay faithful to the gospel message, that God himself will make us fruitful. We believe that if we can stay faithful to the gospel message... That God himself will make us fruitful. And as I was thinking this week, there's basically two types of series. There's two types of sermons. There's two types of gatherings. In my general way of speaking, there's weddings and there's funerals. Okay? We got two days we live between weddings and funerals. Celebrations, mourning. Okay? If you haven't found out, today's going to be a funeral. And it's important for us to recognize that. It's important for us to embrace that because I think that's what scripture teaches us. And I've been thinking that today, that's what we're talking about. And as I was meditating on this this week, I started thinking this, the statement, if we can stay faithful to the gospel message, God will make us fruitful. And the more I meditated on that, the more I thought that's what I want my epitaph to read. I want my tombstone to read, Justin Dean was a faithful man of God. He was a faithful husband, a faithful father, a faithful son, a faithful brother, a faithful friend. I think that's it. A man full of faith. A man that had a grasp of something bigger than himself, a grasp of something larger, a grasp of something eternal. And that eternal thing, God, somehow reached into his life and kept him faithful for the long haul of his life. It's like what Eugene Peterson says about discipleship. He says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Nothing sexy there. Our generation don't like it. I, the first funeral I think I ever went to, I think, was my great grandpa. And I I remember weeping and bawling and just being uncontrollably, just unconsolable, just shaking. And I remember thinking he, he had been married for I don't even know how long, 50 something years, and, and, and just the, the faithfulness to that, and just the plugging away at that, and just never had a lot of money, but was just faithful and just loved Jesus and just tried to raise his, raise his kids to love Jesus. And I just remember thinking, this is just something's not right here. Death is just an obstruction, it's abrupt, it doesn't, it doesn't fit, it doesn't seem like, why would we die? So we're going to talk about that today. I know you felt that. That's why when somebody kind of close to you dies, you're like, nah, I don't think I need to go to the funeral. Right? If they're really close, you know you have to go. But nobody's just like, you know what? I'm looking at the newspaper today. How many funerals can I get to this week? Right? What I think this is going to help us do though is what we call reverse engineer our life. Okay, start with the end in mind and then work backwards. And I want you to do, that's what we're going to talk about today. I want you to think a lot about your last day. What is going to be said of you when you die? He was wealthy. Boy, he knew how to trade stocks, man. Man, did you ever see him in a night iron? He was a funny guy. Remember that joke? Remember how he could just lie? Oh. Wow. She could do her eyes. Remember how she could do her eyes? Oh, she could do her eyes. Remember how she could put that outfit together? Oh. How about that guy was full of faith? How about that woman was full of faith? That guy knew. I know that he knew Jesus Christ because his life just looked like him. Something was unexplainable about him. She gave her life away she poured it out to people she did things that nobody thought was normal he he gave up he passed up the promotion he passed it up because he he wanted to serve and he wanted to give his life away and you know when he retired early so he could go serve somewhere and serve the poor that man was full of faith He took a day off so he could take his grandkids to school or whatever. What? There was something different about this guy. There was something different about this woman. She was full of faith. Faith in a God she could not see. And I know this is going to freak some people out. (laughs) Our modern sensibilities and our culture's aversion to death makes us want to avoid all talk about death. We don't even want to look at it. We want to push it to the back of our mind and live our lives like we expect to live forever. People, you know, what, we, what, what the culture used to do is we would keep our great-grandparents and our grandparents in our homes. And we would take care of them. And our kids would witness death in the home. And we would remind our kids, that's going to happen to you someday. That's going to happen to daddy someday. We're all going to die. We have to live our life in light of this reality that we're going to die. But instead today, we ship off our old people. We push off our seasoned ones. We get, just go away and get into some come retirement community and just get away so we don't have to see you get old. We don't want to have to be reminded that we're carnal, that we're flesh, that we're dust, that everything we are is fading. I want to think that I'm the captain of my ship, that I can determine which direction my soul will turn, that I, am the, that, I, that I can determine my own fate, and I don't want to be reminded that I'm flesh. It would do us good to heed the words of the preacher. Solomon, in Ecclesiastes 7.2, he says, It is better, somebody say better, you're not going to believe it, so i got to make you say it. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house to feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. Revelation for you right here. You're dying. Right now. Your cells are dying as we speak. You're getting closer to that moment. Now you're closer than you were when I first said it. It's coming. And it would do us good to take this to heart and think about our last day. How are we going to be remembered? We, we just study through books of the Bible We're in Genesis chapter 23 right now We go verse by verse through them <clears throat> And right now Basically for the past 10 weeks or so We've been studying the life of Abraham and Sarah We have Anybody see Anybody watch the uh, The Bible on the History Channel This last week Surprisingly well, surprisingly good, right? I was surprised. They had some pretty solid stuff in there. My son actually liked the, their, their interpretation of the ninja angels in Sodom, right? I didn't know that, that. I missed that part in here, but obviously they were ninjas, which is cool, right? I must have found some old Hebrew text that I missed in that one. But it's been a great series so far, and I encourage you to watch it. We've been watching The Life of Abraham, even in that show. So we've witnessed God, if you remember in the last 10 weeks, we've witnessed God call a pagan moon worshiper named Abram from some other country, right? Reached out at this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. He said, I want that guy chosen by sheer grace. Oh, that's not fair to everybody else in the world. Sorry, get over it. It's called election. Boom, Jesus says he's mine. <laughs> Argue about it all you want. God don't care. He does it. Boom, he's mine. Right? Thank God he did it to me. Pulls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He's a moon worshiper. He's a demon worshiper. He says, I want that guy. Picks him up. He says, come follow me. Reminds me of something Jesus might have said once. He says, come follow me. He says, I'm going to bless you and make you into a multitude of nations. I'm going to give you a land. And we watched Abraham and Sarah leave behind. Do you hear this? Leave, they're the first missionaries. They're the, they left everything behind. They left their home behind. They left their family behind. They left their careers all to abandon everything to follow this God who said, "I chose you. Now follow me." You're chosen and you're sent. You're my family and you're missionaries. Hasn't changed. I want you to abandon it all and follow me by faith. Now, faith, do you hear that? It's not, okay, here's the the game plan. Here's the treasure map. This is where I want you to go. This is what you're going to do. When you get there, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it's all going to work out. Just how you think it's going to work out. And Abraham looked at it and he said, will you sign off off on this, Sarah? "Uh, Okay, details look good, God, we'll do this. Go to a land you don't even know. I'm going to show you when you get there. Do what I tell you to do. You don't even know. You're going to do it when you get there. Abraham says, okay. Places his hand in the hand of God and walks by faith. We had a front row seat to a life lived by faith in God. That God promised to give them offspring. Sarah was barren. She could not give birth. God promised to give them offspring that would bless the whole world. And he also promised to give them a new land to call their own. But they had to follow him. They had to obey. They had to respond. They had to walk by faith in grace. And listen, just because they had to walk by faith in grace doesn't mean that God's calling them and election of them wasn't unconditional. God called them, God elected them, God chose them, so they said, Wow, I'm chosen. This God is so good. I want to follow him. One leads to the other. Faith doesn't lead to the election, that's a work. The election leads to the faith. Praise God. We've witnessed amazing things, we met highs and lows, right? Tumultuous marriage, a little girlfriend on the side. We've witnessed wars and battles and faith and God raining down fire and sulfur. This man of faith, this father of the faith—it's been an—it's been an amazing journey, has it not? And it all ends today. Genesis chapter twenty-three: Sarah dies at the age of one hundred twenty-seven none of all of us are like, well. 127? I could do that. Listen, this is it's actually incredibly significant. Uh, Sarah is the only woman in the entire Bible whose lifespan is recorded. That's it. Patriarchal Society didn't record this kind of stuff. Sarah's the only lifespan recorded. She's been married to Abraham. <laughs> For over a hundred years, can you imagine having that hundred-year anniversary? Abraham, did you invite your girlfriend? No. Okay, good. Right? Hundred years. She's been married to the same man for a hundred years. Have they sinned against each other? No. Have they sinned together? Yeah. No. Have they hurt each other? <coughs> A long obedience in the same direction. They forgave each other. They kept moving forward. They kept following Jesus. They kept their faith in the God who doesn't make mistakes. Faithfulness. But I want us to do something. We're going to work backwards now. This is the moment of her death. She, or she is dead. He, Abram. Abraham is by her side, his wife of over a hundred years. He's sitting there. He's weeping the mother of his child who God refers to. Even though he had a, a son by, by Hagar, God refers to Isaac as your one and only son because he's the son of the covenant. He's the elected son. God refers to him then as your one and only son. He's sitting by the mother of that son their bedside she's dead and gone and what's going to be said of her are there regrets we're going to work back from this moment because it's coming for all of us could come in a car wreck on the way home could come by cancer in 20 years come could come by ripe old age laying in your bed but it's coming. At the point of Sarah's death, Isaac is 37 years old. He's unmarried. Singles, there's hope. Okay? Isaac is 37. He's unmarried. Sarah doesn't get to see her, her, her one and only son get, get married. No walking down the aisle, no seeing nothing. Dreams lost. And I want you to put this together. This means for the past 37 years, they have been wandering from place to place in the promised land. God promised them at least two things. Do you remember? He promised them a son and he promised them a land. He fulfilled for 37 years ago. He fulfilled the first promise. He gave them a son. And now they've been wandering in this land for 37 years. Place to 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 place. And still no land. A long obedience in the same direction. Faithfulness. Putting their faith in God and seeing very little fruit. Keep marching. Keep walking. Keep obeying. Still no land to call their own. 37 years. Let's go back farther. You should recall that it took 25 years of waiting to get their son. Isaac, right? They had made mistakes. They sinned, but they still kept the faith. And God did what He promised He would do. And He gave Sarah, He caused Sarah to give birth at the ripe old age of 90. think about that you know I, I just, when I talk about election and I talk about calling and I talk about choosing that God doesn't God doesn't play God doesn't look out there and say Sam come to me and he's sitting there like well may, he might may, he maybe will, will Sam choose? will Sam come to me you hear the story of Lazarus in the Bible there was no debate he said Lazarus is dead in the grave he said Lazarus is Come forth. Right? Lazarus wasn't laying there going, well, he just overrode my free will. I don't know about this. When God calls us, boom, we come forth. One commentator said, the reason Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he would have said, come forth, every person in their grave would have came forth. That's the God that we serve. Think about that. If you add those two together, 37 years, 25, you got over 60 years of faithfulness, 60 years of following God, 60 years of walking by faith. Listen to me. She dies without seeing the promised land as hers, as owned. I, I buy into this false religion. I buy into this. I'm going to choose Jesus once in my life. And then I don't want to walk by faith anymore. Okay, Jesus, I chose you. Now I expect things to work out really nice for me. I chose you. I don't want to have to put my faith in you. I, I would rather just walk and have it. I want to control my house. And I want to control my appointments. and i want to control my schedule. And I don't want anything to bump me. Don't bump me. At walking by faith. I did that. The, remember that time I did that? I wept, remember? Camp, I did it. Right? So I walked by faith back then. I don't want to keep doing this. We got 60 years. of Oh, I don't know what, okay, one more step, one more step. Listen, God is so ridiculously sovereign. I'm preaching on faith today. I'm preaching on placing your faith in God and keeping it there and keep walking by faith and not by sight. And I got down to my office last night and I, God was speaking to me and I was typing stuff out and I was stoked. And all of a sudden at 7.30 at night, the downstairs of my house, power goes out. And in that moment, I realized, I have not saved this. But I'm a man of faith. So I said, bull crap. I said, No! 7:30 at night. You got to speak for an hour in the morning. And that, and you're you're on your Oh boy, this is good, right here. Ooh. And then blank. Mhm. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> I've been working out in the garage the day before and building some stuff, using some tools scaring my daughter. Cause there's really loud noises. She came downstairs. She's three. She came downstairs. Daddy, what happened? Well, I kind of, the power went on and I kind of broke my computer kind of broke and I kind of just, you know, I lost a lot of stuff. Well, you can fix it, daddy. Well, not really. Do you need your hammer and that loud thing? I'm like, come here, babe. Just hug me. That's what I need right now. Listen, guys, there is no advanced plan for the the Christian life. There is no come to faith once and then don't walk by faith anymore. If you're comfortable with your wealth right now, you're not walking by faith. If you're comfortable in your career right now, you're not walking by faith. If you're comfortable in your relationships and people in your home aren't bothering you, you're not walking by faith. You want scripture, I'll give it to you. Just wait. 60 years here, Abraham and Sarah. Not an easy road, they're walking by faith. Like the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, they could say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but, all, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Did you hear that? I have kept the faith. That's what Paul says on his deathbed. I have kept the faith. I want to ask you something. On your last day, when you stand before your maker, do you expect to hear, well done, you good and faithful servant? Or will you hear something else? Did you hear me? Now, right, we're Americans. Do you expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or do you expect to hear something else? Now I know. This is kind of like, I was thinking about this. This is kind of like asking a mom if she thinks she's a good mom or not. There's not a the mom on the planet that says, "No, you know what? I, I'm a bad mom." Alright, I've seen all the reality TV shows. Mom's high as a kite with men coming in and out of the house like it's a truck stop bathroom, but she still believes, "Hey, I'm a good mom. I'm a don't you talk about my, I'm a good mom?" All right? Tell me, it ain't the truth. Moms will fight you if you say something. You're, I don't know about you know maybe a parenting issue or something. I'm a good mom. Right? Identity. Just because mom, sorry, just because mom thinks she's a good mom does not mean that she is. Just because you think that you are living a life of faith does not mean that you are. And guess what? Jesus didn't leave it to us to interpret he gave us a pretty clear standard. Open your bibles so you can keep it in Genesis but open up to Matthew chapter 7. I know we're not going verse by verse like we normally do. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21. Some of the scariest verses in the whole Bible. When you're there, say there. Jesus speaking here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The one who does the will of my Father, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, the end day, our last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not fill in the blank, whatever you want to say here. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not go to church? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Did we not feed the poor in your name? Did we not sing in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Did you hear that? How many people will do that? Many. Many. Please hear me today. I know this is going to sound old-fashioned, fire and brimstone, whatever, okay? It's Jesus saying it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not ask you into my heart at summer camp that one time? Did I not get baptized in your name? Did I not give a little bit of my money? Remember that? Remember when that thing happened and I gave, remember? I said, Lord, Lord. I said, Jesus, come into my heart. I said, Jesus, you're my Savior. I said, God, I kind of like you. And he says, depart from me. We got got preachers here. Preachers are in this category. People doing miracles are in this category. That should scare us. And Jesus says, no, depart from me. I never knew you. And just like the good mom, he's not talking about us. He can't be talking about us. I know I'm a good mom. I know I have faith. I know I'm believing. Jesus says, the one who I know, my sheep in other words, they do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Sandwiched between this verse in Matthew, we've got fruit. You're going to know them by their fruit. And you, got, you better build your life on the foundation of Christ. In between these verses, he's making it very clear, to, very clear to us. What does it mean to do the will of God? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ. Not to become a follower, but to be one. It means we obey Jesus. It means that our lives should look a whole lot like Jesus. It means that we should be significantly different than before we came to know Jesus. Last week, a few of us were in Austin, Texas for the Verge Conference. And I heard David Platt use an amazing illustration. It goes something like this. Imagine... This morning, the songs ended, the liturgy was over, silence, Everybody's the reading of scripture was done. Everybody's waiting for me to get here. Nothing. Nothing. Three minutes go by, people start getting nervous, right? Where's Justin? Five minutes go by, I come running in the back doors. I'm sweaty, I'm hot, I run up on, I grab my microphone, I come up on stage, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm so, so sorry. I got a flat tire on the way over here. It was awful. On the way to church, I get a flat tire. I go out to get the spare. It's on the driver's side, rear wheel. I get that thing off, and I'm putting that tire back on. As soon as I put that tire back up, I hear something. I look up, and bam, I get hit by a snowplow. Head on. I just got smashed by a snowplow. Dude, it hurt. But I'm here now. So uh, open up your Bibles, too. And what are you going to say? Um... More than likely, you're going to go, Justin, if you're late, dude, just, if you woke up late, just tell us. It's daylight saving. We get that. You didn't get hit by a snowplow, bro. I'm pretty sure if you got hit by a snowplow, you would look a whole lot different. The glory of a snowplow is greater than me. The weightiness of a snowplow is greater than me. When one contacts the other at full speed head on, one changes. One honks. Okay? See, when you meet, listen to me, when you meet the living God of the Bible in Jesus Christ, He's like that snowplow. When you are encountered by Him, your life is going to look different than the day before you met Him. One impacts the other, it's a fact. You're not, listen to this, I want you to hear this. You're not saved because you're good. You're not saved because you obey God. You're not saved because you, you follow God and you, and you do all the moralistic things and you're a good person. No, no, no. Just like Abram, you, you're, you're rescued by God. You're here by sheer grace. God brought you and called you into himself and he saves you without anything you need to add to that. But once you're saved and God gives you that faith and you respond to him, that love changes you. That encounter changes you. There is no casual response possible to a snowplow going full speed. Hold on. Let's talk about... You're not brushing yourself off and... God, I got that taken care of. Eternity. Woo. Done with that. Let's get that promotion. There's no casual response possible. There's no maybe about it. And guys, listen, that's what a life of faith looks like. And Platt used that analogy, just rocked me. There's only one way to respond to God, and that is with total. Now, there's two ways to respond to God. I put that in my notes, but I'm wrong. There's two ways to respond to God. You can respond to God with total and complete devotion, or you can respond to God like Pharaoh. And you can be destroyed. And listen, a casual like, "Well, I'm going to kind of do both." No, you're not. There's no casual response possible. His love is too overwhelming. His power is too great. His goodness is too satisfying. His glory is too weighty. And now I'm going to I'm going to further just pile this on you because we think Jesus, right? We we will, all, Justin. Grace don't, you know, grace and truth hold them together. I want to hold them together. Jesus came in grace and truth. So I'm just going to let you, I'm going to let Jesus' words here. I'm going to let Jesus' words stand on their own. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he said, follow me, right? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find him. For what will it, will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? or what shall a man give in return for his soul for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done Jesus was a humble Galilean carpenter but he is no longer a humble Galilean carpenter he is the king of kings and the lord of lords and he stands at the right hand of God right now and he doesn't play anymore When he comes back, he comes back in judgment. He comes back with fire. He comes back and those who were hit by the Mack truck and responded to God and gave everything for him will say, yes, he's come back and we'll get a great inheritance with him. And those who did not respond, those who sidestepped, those who said, I don't want to deal with Jesus, those who, I want to have my own way, those will get the punishment they deserve in everlasting Torment. Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Dang, that's terrible. If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. I wish that one wasn't in there. Jesus says this, blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when people exclude you blessed are you when they revile you blessed are you when they spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man that coming and dying that's your reputation too matthew 10:28 and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both both soul and body in hell. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself, dang it, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Mark 10, 21. And Jesus. Listen to this. Here, here we go. Hey, I, wanna, I just want to say a prayer and be Jesus's, right? I just want to say a prayer and, then, and I go on to my, live my own life. Rich young ruler comes up. Little dude, he's got some money. He's a young guy. He comes up. He says, Jesus, what do I got to do to be saved, man? He says, what are the commandments? He lists off a few commandments. I've done all those. I'm looking pretty good. And this is what Jesus says to him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me man cannot serve two masters you can't love money and serve god jesus messing with us luke 14:26 if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what does that mean, Jesus? We're supposed to hate people in comparison to God. All my love for my wife should look like hate in comparison to my love to, with God my love for my children should look like hate in comparison to my love for God. This is what Jesus is saying. If there is anything in your life that you are unwilling to give up right now to follow Christ, that thing is your God. If there is anything in your life right now that you say, I I won't give this up, that thing is your God. You are fooling yourself. You're the crackhead mom saying, I'm a good mom. You want to know how often I hear this? People having sex before marriage, I can't stop. I can't give it up. I'm unwilling to I'm unwilling to even talk about it. That thing is your God. I want to shack up. I want to live together before I'm married. That thing is your God. That boy is your God. Don't pretend that you that God is your chief end. Don't pretend. I'm here to wake you up this morning. I'm sorry. Hey, it's me too. Believe me. Last night, when my computer goes down, my performance was what was in my head. I'm going to get up there and look like a fool. Blessed are those, Justin. If that happens... In my weakness, he'll be strong. But I wasn't thinking that last night. Let's I mean, it be real. If there is anything in your life that you are unwilling to give up to follow Christ, that thing is your God. And listen, it could be kids. We just saw it last week. God tells Abe, get up there with your boy, your one and only boy, take him out. Abe says, okay, let's do this. You don't think God will ask something? You don't think God will play that with you? You don't think God will test you with your children? we got to walk by faith, not by sight. Listen. We see this. We see this in the life of Abraham and Sarah. They left everything behind to follow God. Listen, I'm going to go back to this mom illustration. When we're watching those shows or you know that person, maybe they're drinking and they're pregnant or something or whatever, you know, doing something they shouldn't do when they're pregnant or whatever. You're looking at them and you're going, what are you doing? You're going, that baby in your womb is so precious. And, and you drink, like, what? The, glo- the glory of that alcoholic beverage is less than the glory that's in your womb. What are you doing? And you're looking at a person on the show that whatever it is, it's hurting them. Maybe if it's cocaine or whatever it is. And you're going, What well, look at your kids. Oh, my gosh, you've got three beautiful kids. And you're using that. Like, what are you doing? Are we not looking at them and saying those things? Right? Listen, if we could pull ourselves out of our body and look at our situation, that's the same way that it looks when we worship anything other than God. In reality, that's how it looks. You, what, you're sacrificing your relationship with God for money? For, for sex? You're, you're doing that? The glory of one is less than the glory of the other. And God is glorious. He's the most glorious. He's the weightiest. He's worth it. He's more valuable than anything else on the planet. I wish some old folks... I wish Abraham and Sarah could sit down here and tell some of these young people that think they got to have sex. I wish, some, I wish we could have Abraham sit here and say, hey, let me, let me tell you something. Good sex don't start until you're 60 anyways. So just get married and practice with the same person for 60 years, then you're going to have good sex. Yes. It's one of those days. Surprisingly, that wasn't in my notes, but, uh, listen, so what motivates this? I'm sure, I'm sure if you've ever been in church before, you've heard a sermon like this and you felt that and you walked out going, (sighs) and you thought, well, I can't do that. That's radical and that's crazy. And I can't live my life like that. And I don't know what. you're missing the motivational piece. You're missing the heart change that produces the behavior change. And what the Spirit of God does when He elects us, what he's, the Spirit of God does is He changes our heart. We go from the heart of stone to a heart of flesh. We go from dead on the table to alive. We go from in the tomb to walking out. And just like Lazarus, he comes walking out and he's got grave clothes on. He's wrapped tight. He's mummified. He's mummified. And then look to the people around him and say, unwrap him. He needs community. He needs help. He's alive, but he doesn't know it yet. He's wrapped up. He's bound up. He's consumed with his stuff. Community, unwrap him. And that's the way it is with us. Listen, Abraham and Sarah, they didn't go, you know what? I can do this. They failed over and over and over, but it was just a long obedience in the same direction. And what kept him going, listen, I, what kept him going is the grace of God, knowing I am undeserving. I was a moon worshiper. I am nobody. God didn't look down at me and see that I was, you know what, that's a guy who I think he's got a sliver of faith left. And if I choose that guy, he's going to respond in greater faith. And then this will He looked down and said, that guy's horrible. I'll make him good. That's what he does for us. So when you leave here, listen, you should be challenged. If you've lived in church for a long time, so you've learned to repress that guilt. You've learned to repress that remorse. You've learned to repress that shame. I ask that you'd let it go. I, I ask that you'd let it do its work and bring about repentance. Because if your home is your castle and nobody enters and you never have anybody over for dinner, you're not walking by faith. You're not using the greatest gift that God gave you for his mission. You're not using it appropriately. When was the last time you had your neighbor over for dinner? When was the last time you had an unbeliever in your home over for dinner? When was the last time you had somebody from your community over for dinner? When was the last time you threw a party for your neighborhood to come in so they could meet you and meet some of your missional community you could go out and be on mission to them? I could go down the list. Abraham and Sarah lived overwhelmed at God's grace. I cannot believe that he chose me. Out of all the people in the world, he chose me. God looked down from heaven. He stooped and he adopted me. He chose them by his own will, by sheer grace. He walked to the orphanage. And he said, I want her and I want him and I want him and I want him. That's what he did for us. His will, he chose us. Did you remember filling out any applications for adoption? Right? I didn't. He adopted me, his own prerogative. Let me close. So the last half of this chapter, We still, Sarah dies, no land. She walks in faith, no land. But as Abraham was weeping over his dead wife, I'm sure the echoes of God's voice reverberated afresh in his mind. Listen, I'm going to quote some of his from chapter 12, verse 7. To your offspring, I will give this land. Chapter 13, verse 15. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. 13, 17, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, and I will give it to you. To your offspring, I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. 15, 18. And I will give to you, seventeen eight, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I'm sure his wife is dying, and he's thinking about, man, we had the promised baby, we didn't get the promised child. And it's interesting. I find it really fascinating to me that at Sarah's death, Causes Abraham to purchase the first stretch of real estate in the promised land. What looks horrible, what looks like a death, has eternal significance. Wandering no land, Sarah dies. I gotta find a tomb for my wife, my wife of a hundred years. I gotta find a tomb. And he haggles and he drives a hard bargain. And he purchases this tomb and some field around it. And it becomes the first stretch of land that the Hebrews own, that his people owned in the promised land. Now listen to this. I want you to hear the significance of this. This is from Ken Hughes' commentary. By faith, Abraham believed God's promise that his descendants would inherit the land. By faith, Abraham sojourned in the land for almost a century Living as one to whom it would belong. Listen. By faith, Abraham purchased the cave at Machpelah in Hebron. Okay, that's right here. By faith, Abraham buried Sarah in the cave at Hebron. Look at this now. By faith, Isaac buried Abraham in the cave at Hebron. By faith... Jacob buried his father, Isaac, in the cave at Hebron. By faith, while in Egypt, Jacob charged his sons to bring him and bury him at the cave in Hebron. By faith, Jacob's sons had him, had him embalmed and took his remains to Hebron for burial. By faith, at the very last lines of Genesis records, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, Bring me to Hebron. the patriarchs all get buried in this cave in Hebron. And what's interesting is now today this tomb is underneath a Muslim holy place. It's been enshrined And year after year, people make pilgrimages there to pay their respects to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe their bones are buried under the holy shrine. This is the first spot. Sarah's death made this possible. Her death brought about kind of a a resurrection. And I think this is really interesting because as Christians, Jesus, the promised Messiah, would come through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he was also, he wasn't a sinner like them. He was also the sinless son of God who lived the perfect life. And he chose according to the predestined plan of God, to die in the place of guilty sinners. Jesus chose to die like Sarah. He chose to be buried in a tomb like Sarah. But this Jesus was crucified and buried in another tomb. They didn't bring his body back to Hebron. They didn't put his body in this tomb. Jesus was buried in another tomb, but Jesus didn't stay there for very long. See, we talk, why is Jesus worth my life? Why is Jesus worth me sacrificing money and prestige and fame and honor and and all these different things? Why is Jesus worth it? This is why. He was buried in a tomb and then he got up. You ever see that? This God himself said that's my boy and he came back and he was witnessed by over 500 people and He's walk- and then he ascended in glory to be with the Father. And he says one day I'm going to come back and you're going to look like this and you're going to get to do that. I don't know. Premarital sex is looking pretty good right now. That's how foolish we are. In that moment, there were some people that went, eh, I don't know, maybe. Listen, after three days, after three days in a tomb, he was resurrected and he walked out of that tomb. And listen to this, nobody enshrined it. Nobody enshrined it. We don't even know where it is. There's still debates over, is this Jesus' tomb? Was that the tomb? We don't even know where it is. Because Jesus was the Son of God who didn't die to give us holy places. His bones didn't stay in the grave so we could enshrine them and worship them and make pilgrimages. Jesus died and rose again to fill us with Himself. Himself to give us something better than holy places, to give us His Spirit that would live inside of us, to give us faith by the Holy Spirit and to send us out on mission to show the world what this God is like. Jesus gives us the supper. He doesn't give us tombs and monuments and memorials. overwhelmed this morning that a man a man born in poverty in a town the size of the Mount Joy Trailer Park has impacted the world like no other man ever. There's only one explanation for that. He Rose again. And that fact alone demands our loyalty, demands our worship, demands our glory. Everything else should look like hate compared to our love for God. And he did it all while we were sinners. We still are. We're shaking our fists at him. We want our own way. I'm yelling at God, no, my plan is ruined. I was going to talk about faith. No, now I have to walk by faith. I've never done this in this church. Bow your heads, please. It's easy in this moment where the Holy Spirit's convicting hearts and Jesus is here in his, in his presence. It's, it's really easy to, to, to get people to make a decision, uh, give Jesus everything. It's really easy to do that. And it's really easy to walk out of here and be the exact same person. If the Spirit is moving on your heart right now, I ask that you would ask God to bring about repentance in your heart, to show you how Jesus is better than whatever it is, you're sacrificing him for. Jesus is better than your plan, that Jesus is better than your money, that Jesus is better than your spouse. Jesus is better than your kids, that Jesus is better than all those things. That you would ask him to bring about repentance in your heart and you would ask him to give you faith in that and make you into a person. On your deathbed, they're going to say, this guy or this gal was faithful. They were full of Jesus. They lived differently. They loved recklessly. Father, I pray that you would do this by your spirit and for your glory. For your name. Because you're worth it. You are worth it, Father. I pray that none of us would take this bread. bread, None of us would take this cup in an unworthy manner this morning. That we would search our heart. That we would repent of our sin. And we would place our faith in you. That's all that's left for us. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. We don't have to cut ourselves or do, you know, commit to never doing something again. All we have to do is say, Jesus Christ, I put my faith in you. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Help me walk in your grace. And Father, I believe by faith right now, you're regenerating hearts. You're changing. You're taking the dead and you're making them alive. You're pulling out an old heart of stone and you're putting in a heart of flesh. That you're doing this because you are a real God who does this stuff. In Jesus' name,